Welcome to the Our Generation Summit 2011. It is our prayer that you will be challenged to take part in world evangelism in obedience to the King's command. Thank you very much. You can stay standing for a second if you want. Uh, our next preacher will be Philip Basham. He is going as a missionary to the country of Thailand. We've been working together for a long time. He helped start the church and uh, helped set up an our entire music program. And I love this guy and I'm very proud of him. So I hope you'll listen as he comes to preach. You can have a seat. I'll, I'm nice, not like him. I'm just kidding. He's really nice and I love him. Oh, we're going to talk um, this evening a little bit for a few minutes on our place in the King's mission. Um, and that's one of the questions and one of the thoughts that uh, we, I think we all come up with a lot because we want to, we desire, we love the King. He saved us and we are desirous to do something for him. But we just, a lot of times are just so... Um, we don't have much direction is really the answer. And the question that we get all the time when we have any summits or anything to do with missions and people are considering this question is like, uh, what can I do or how do I fit in or what, what should I end up doing? And so I just want to bring a little bit of, of clarity to that and maybe a little bit of, of help really. And I'm not going to preach and scream and do like Ronald. He's a good preacher. I'm just going to try to help us a little bit. This is class time. Ready? Um, Matthew chapter six. Verse number 33 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. It says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And this um, command here to seek first the kingdom is calling us to ambition. It's calling us to do something. It's calling us to, to step out and try some things. It's calling us to seek after his kingdom. And, and the problem is not that, that we do seek or we don't seek. We all seek. But the problem is what we seek. There's godly ambition and there's all kinds of other selfish ambition. And what do we choose most of the time? We choose something that's some form of selfish ambition, some form of some way to, to make my name great or to make myself look good or to make myself a lot of money or make myself something. It's some form of I need something. And so we spend our life toward that um, so often. But what he's telling us to seek after is not that, but he tells us to seek after his kingdom. And there's a big difference in that. And when we seek it, I think for some reason we temper and we dilute our dreams and our desires for what he wants for us to do. And we, we know that there's a world out there to reach. And we know there's, a, I mean, an enormous job to be done. And, but somehow we think that we don't have, we're not going to have a big part to play in it. Because God wants to use, you know, people like Billy Graham. And he can fill up a, a big old stadium. And if I could fill up a big old stadium, I'd preach to him. But I'm never going to be able to. But that's the kind of people he wants to use. So I'm just going to sit back on the sidelines. And we, and we just temper it because, well, I don't know, maybe we, we know it's spiritual to be humble and we know it's spiritual to be contentment. But when our humility and our understanding of humility becomes where we are too humble to act, then we cease to be biblically humble. And when our understanding of contentment is, causes us to not seek first the kingdom of God and not seek and try to do things for him, then we have a misunderstanding of biblical contentment because he wants us to seek first the kingdom of God. And he wants to seek after those things. And so when we, our, our godly ambition is not ambition for ourselves, but our godly ambition is ambition for the glory of another. And there's a big difference in that. We have the selfish ambition that, that is ambition for our own glory, our own promotion. But he wants to set our desire on higher things for the king's glory, not to be swallowed up by lesser ambitions 
these selfish ambitions. And um, so first of all, I'll give you three points. First of all, is to be ambitious. I think, and that's kind of permission. Because for myself, as I was like, I want to do something, but I, I'm not, I don't think I should think highly of myself, so I shouldn't have high dreams, because if you have high dreams, you've got to be something to be that. You, are y'all, y'all ever think of anything like that? You're like, I'm, not, I'm just a normal guy. I'm just an average guy. I don't, I, if I tell people what's in my heart, and I tell people about what I want God to do through me, and if I tell people that I want to reach a country, I mean, that's kind of a little braggadocious, don't you think? I'm a missionary to the whole world. I don't know. I'm going to reach them all. That's a little braggadocious, don't you think? But when we have ambition to do something for the king, it's not for our glory, it's for his glory. And if we get that all messed up, then we're going to have all all kinds of problems. But he wants us to have an ambition for him. And the truth is, is that we pursue what we love, don't we? We pursue what we desire. I love my wife, and so what, what do I do? I pursue her. I wanted to get married, so I drove all the way to Texas and spent all my money because I wanted her to be mine. You with me? We pursue what we love. And if he wants us to love him, we should pursue him. And if he asks us, and the depth of my love is seen in the intensity of my pursuits. And the, how much I love Lori is how much I'm going to pursue after Lori. And how much you love anything. If you, I mean, if you just, if you're just eat up, that's a phrase I got from Brother Gardner. If you're just eat up with making a bazillion dollars, you are going to drive after that with all the intensity that you have. But if he wants us to seek first his kingdom, and if we really love him, and if we're really pursuing after him, we're going to go over after, after that with such intensity because of our love for him. And so uh, we, if we are about our own glory, then we're going to pursue glory and recognition that comes from men. But if we're going to pursue um, his glory, then we're going to pursue the glory that only comes from who? From him. So what we pursue already reveals what we're desirous after. And that's kind of diagnostic. Um, we, what we're pursuing after and what you're doing with your life and how you're spending your time and what your desires are and what you're going to school for and what you're, I mean, it, it's a little revealing. It opens up about what our ambitions really are. And if you open up and see your ambitions are a selfish ambition, we can step back and turn our ambitions toward godly ambitions. But we don't, we don't just set our ambitions aside and say, oh, I'm just going to sit back in my thumb and I'm going to go um, on the backside of a mountain and be up there and I'm going to be humble and I'm going to be content and I'm going to be really, really spiritual. That's not really, really spiritual. We messed everything up. We're to be seeking after him. We're to be ambitious. Not, that doesn't mean adventurous. We're ambitious. Not, and as missionaries, you know, we're all kind of adventurous. You're here probably because you're a little adventurous. But adventurousness, I made that word up too. But Tom told me I could. <laughs> he made up a word today. Um, but adventurousness and being adventurous and traveling all over the world doesn't get things done. But godly ambition will. And he wants his kingdom to be set up. And he wants his kingdom to be, his name to be known and his gospel to be preached. Through ambitious Christians who love him and are seeking his glory. And so um, that's kind of foundation. But we're supposed to be finding our place in the king's mission. But if we, our place in the king's mission is first of all to be ambitious. But second of all to be ambitious for what the king's ambitious for. And what does he say? So we set our ambitions for the king's ambition. Matthew 16, 18 um, tells us. What does he say? He says, I will, what? Build my church. And so if the king's ambition is to build his church 
Maybe our ambition should be the same ambition. And so we should be ambitious to build His church. We should be ambitious to be involved in His church. It's not some abstract idea out there. It's not some, no, um, I'm going to build. I love Jesus and I love His kingdom and I love what He does. But I'm just going to sit at home and I'm going to be a good Christian. I'm going to read my Bible and I'm going to love the church. I'm never going to go to one and I'm never going to be involved in one. I'm never going to help one. I'm never going to sing. I'm never going to sweep. I'm never going to do anything with the church, but I sure love it. No, he wants us to be ambitious for the church. He says, I'm going to build my church and we're to be involved in building a church somewhere. It takes, we got to pick one and then we got to work in it and we got to build it. And that's, I mean, if we're talking about where our place in place in the king's mission is, it's got to be in a church because that's his plan. I mean, that's plan A. There is no plan B. He wants to be, he wants to do his work through the church and he wants to use us in the church. And so we should set our ambition for the king's ambition, which is the church. And he says that he loves and cherishes and pursues the church. So to claim to love him and to work separately from the church is contradictory. That's what he loves, and we should love it. And um, this requires us to love not just some random church out there, but to be involved in building a church. And our action should be directed by his ambition. His ambition becomes our ambition, and we get involved in his church. So, first of all, we're ambitious, and we're ambitious for the church. And thirdly, is we should set our ambition for the church globally. Uh, we should be ambitious for his church around the world. Because what does he say? He says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. In other words, he wants churches to be all over the place. He wants Christians to be all over the place. And if we're trying to consider, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to pursue after you? What do you want me to give my life for? What do you want me to spend my time doing? If we know his ambition then we should be involved in it. And we see that the emptiness of places of, with, full of all kinds of sin and full of all kinds of wickedness and all kinds of idolatry with such a need for a church to be there. And we know his desire is to, is to have a church there. We know he loves the church and we know he's, he wants his gospel to be preached there. So does it, I mean, it kind of makes sense that he would use our life as we give our life to him to do something to resolve that problem. And so our ambition should be for the church globally. We take risks for every ambitions, every ambition that we have, don't we? If you're in business and you have great ambitions to do something, you've got to... I mean, Brother Gardner's brother was here today, and he's an investor, and he's talking to us all about these risks. Basically, if you're going to get rich, you've got to invest in something. And you invest in something... I don't know anything about being rich, if you're wondering, but... <laughs> They'll tell me that you take risks and you, you have manager risks and all this kind of stuff, but you get at the end of it and, um, and you make something. I mean, taking risks is no different. He wants us to take risks, to be ambitious, to pursue after what he wants us to pursue. And we love all of our heroes and we love all the people in the Bible and we just, we just look up to them greatly. And if there's anybody um, ambitious... It was probably the Apostle Paul. I mean, he's a little bit of a crazy man. He says in Romans 15, 20, he says, I have strived to preach the gospel not where Christ was named. So I just want you to consider the possibility. I mean, just the possibility. Maybe if he, he, we know his ambition, we know his desire that he wants his gospel to be preached, that possibly maybe, I mean, just, you know, maybe. 
He wants our ambition to be the same thing and to be actually involved in it and not to spend our time in all these selfish pursuits and all these lesser pursuits and all these pursuits that are going to end when, our, when your life ends, but to give your life for something bigger, something that he wants to be done. He wants you to be ambitious for his church around the world. Amen. How many of you love him and want to honor him? Well, I praise the Lord for what's happening. I hope you've listened and learned something. I think there have been some great messages, preached great truths that you should have learned. I would challenge you to get a mentor. I would challenge you to get somebody that would help you. Uh, I would challenge you to get somebody that would help you to learn how to do the work and how to grow. And then I would challenge you to become a mentor after you've, done, after you've learned that. I think that was a great lesson. I hope you paid attention, and I hope that you'll use that, and, and uh, that will become a reality in your life. And then I hope that you, I hope that you realize uh, what Philip just preached is probably as beautiful a thing as you could have possibly heard or understood. To understand that uh, you have a responsibility, you ought to be ambitious, and we ought to be church people. Amen. We ought to be church people, man. He loved the church. He died for the church. He gave his life for the church. He's a god of the church. It's his church. Amen. And uh, I hope that you, I hope that you are involved in that. Uh, Jake Talby sent this out. Hey, everyone, Natasha went to the hospital this morning with some severe pain. After a bunch of exams, they have determined that it's a gallbladder infection type problem. The Tolsons will fly to Beijing this afternoon to have surgery. It's about an hour, hour and a half flight. Please pray that the trip will be okay and that they'll get the pain under control for the duration of the trip. This is supposed to be pretty high on the pain scale. And, of course, pray for the baby's health and for the surgery to go smoothly. They should be leaving Harbin at 4 this afternoon. Uh, please don't. Uh, mention anything on Facebook, but you can now. It's already come out, and uh, so there's another email that said you could. So you be praying for Natasha as they're on their way to Beijing, and they're going to have, uh, uh, she's going to be having surgery. Please pray for her. Our next preacher is Brother Jason Holt. He's a missionary in uh, Chile. God has just tremendously used his work. Uh, uh, God has uh, built churches in the, the country. You go down there, it's an exciting place. They're starting other churches. The ministry is going out and doing great and wonderful things. So I hope you'll listen. And as Brother Jason comes with a message for us tonight. All right, let's talk for a moment about life expectancy. You can all have a seat because you're getting tired and you're probably not expecting to live much longer and you want to have a seat. Life expectancy. Let's just assume that we're all going to live to be 80 years old, okay? Um, we all don't have any idea. The Bible tells us we don't know when we're going to die. But let's just for a matter of thinking this evening about our life, because we're going to see from the Bible that our king wants a lifetime of service. Let's just assume we're going to live to be 80 years of age. Now, in your mind, let's do a little bit of math. Um, from how old you are right now to 80, how many years do you have left to live if Jesus doesn't come back and you live to be 80 years of age? I'll quit talking and give you a second to think about it because I know it's kind of hard. All right, um, you're calculating it up. Some are asking their neighbor, how old would I be? Let's see. Um, I'm 30 years old, so it's real easy for me. 30 minus 80 is 50, so I have 50 years to live if I make it to 80 years old. How, how long do you have? Everybody at the same time, tell me how long you have. One, two, three. 65. Fantastic. 65. All right. This guy barely made it into the, the age requirement for the summit. <laughs> He's got 65 years left to live. All right. So let's say it again. One, two, three. 65. 
All right, good. Now, some of you are in single digits or in, you barely, uh, you might, might be a little bit um, worried there, but praise the Lord that you're here with us regardless of that this evening. Let's look what the Bible says in the book of Acts chapter number 20. Acts chapter number 20. Keep that number in mind. Keep that thought about how many years you would have left if God allowed you to live to the age of 80. Adoniram Judson said the motto of every missionary ought to be devoted for life, devoted for life, that we should decide that we are devoted to the king's command for life. It's not just maybe a weekend up in Gatlinburg uh, or Pigeon Forge. It's not just maybe a two-week trip to some part of the world. It's not just a three-month internship somewhere. It's not just a part of our life. But we should make the decision this week to be devoted for the rest of our life. And if Jesus doesn't come back and he gives us the, the long life, maybe up to 80 years of age, then you already know how many years you need to be devoted. We should be devoted to the king for life. And we have a great example of someone in the Bible that was devoted Um, For his life, from the time he knew the Lord as his personal Savior to the time that he died. And let's look what the Bible says here in Acts chapter number 20 and verse number 24. Do you have it there? It says, but none of these things moved me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might, there's three words I want you to read out loud with me, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of of God. So here he said that his goal was to finish his course, to finish my course. That's what Paul said. None of these things are going to move me. None of these things will distract me. None of these things will prevent me from finishing my course, devoted for life to finish his course. The last book that Paul wrote before he was martyred, as history tells us, was the book of 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter number 4, verse number 7, they're about to throw it up here, 2 Timothy 4, 7, he said, I have fought a good fight, Um, I, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. What's the little phrase we find there? Finished my course. So back in Acts 20, he said, none of these things are going to move me because I want to finish my course. Here in 2 Timothy 4, he said, I fought a good fight and I finished my course. And this evening, I think we all ought to decide together that we are going to finish the course that God has for us. It might be a few more weeks. It might be a few more months. It might be 50 years or it might be 65. You We don't know what God has for us, but let's decide we're going to finish our course. Now, the first thing about that, we've got to take personal responsibility for the king's command. We've got to take personal responsibility to be devoted for life. Paul said, it's my course. 
It's my course. It's mine. God's given it to me. And an event like this is so easy to sit in your seat and think, I'm so glad that God gave that responsibility to these missionaries. I'm so glad that God gave that responsibility, as we just heard earlier, about the church. The church has it. My local church has it. My pastor, the youth pastor, the leaders, we all have it. But the truth is, you have it. And God has a plan for your life. And there's a course, um, there's a race, there's a a specific purpose and responsibility that God has given you. And many of you in this week, sitting in this room, God's touched your heart. Or maybe in one of these breakout sessions, he's touched your heart about the specific course that he has for you. And might we decide tonight, with God's grace and his help, that we will finish his course finish the course that he's given to us he took personal responsibility in acts 26 19 paul said whereupon O king agrippa i was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision talking about how god specifically told him what he was supposed to do and he went out and he did what god wanted for him he took responsibility for his um for god's will for his life but not only do we need to take personal responsibility but number two we need to think long term to be devoted for life we need to think long term we need to be thinking 50 years we need to be thinking 35 years we need to be thinking 65 years we need to be thinking if god gives me health and he doesn't come back and he doesn't have another plan to take me out earlier then i want to be a long-term planner thinker in my christian walk i'm not just here in a fly-by-night temporary commitment i'm not just stirred up about missions this weekend but i'm committing to serve the lord when it's easy and when it's hard and in the summer and in the winter and this coming year all through the year all 12 months and the 12 months of every other year that comes until the day that we're in in glory in heaven to be with him forever let's decide that we're going to be long-term in our thinking he said um in both passages he talked about finishing finishing and you know our generation my generation the younger generation is not big on finishing it's not big on commitment just to give an example how many of you out there have started a project in the in the last two weeks and you haven't finished it yet raise your hand all right how many of you in the last month you've started a book and you haven't finished the book and it's not that you're working through it it's just that you start and you set it aside raise your hand all right how many of you um your parents have given you responsibility or your wife gave you a honey to-do list and you started but you have not finished uh we many times we don't finish paul said by the grace of God, I have finished my course. I finished my course. And we should decide today that we want to finish. What is the responsibility he's given us to evangelize the world with the gospel? Have we finished that cause? Have we finished that responsibility? By no means. And we've heard repeatedly this week about the huge opportunities and the huge needs around the world because his task has not been completed. And we have that responsibility today. I read you part of the quote from Adoniram Judson. He said, the motto of every missionary ought to be devoted for life. But he was speaking specifically in that, in that context 
about missionaries that go to the field, raise their support, go to the field, learn the culture, learn the language, and before they really accomplish much, end up going back home and returning back to England. And he said about these people, hang on, because it gets a little bit rough, but this is Adonai Justin, not Jason Holt, so get mad at him. Um, He said, how can we, speaking of full-time, long-term, devoted-for-life Christians, how can we who are devoted for life cordially take our hearts, um, cordially take to our hearts one who is a mere hireling? I have seen the beginning, middle, and end of several limited-term missionaries. They are all good for nothing. That's what he said, all good for nothing. Though brilliant in an English pulpit, they are incompetent to any real missionary work. They come out for a few years with the view of acquiring a stock of credit on which they may vegetate the rest of their days in the congenial climate of their native land. Their motto of every missionary, whether preacher, printer, or schoolmaster, ought to be devoted for life. And you know, that applies to missionaries, it applies to preachers, it applies to Sunday school teachers, it applies to teenagers in the youth group. You know, there's a lot of them that get stirred up in a conference like this that'll stand no doubt in in the pulpit at your church this Sunday or in a youth meeting and give a testimony about what God's done in your life. And it sounds pretty. And you might sign up for a a short-term trip, and you ought to. I took two of them before God led me to the mission field. I'm not against short-term trips. But you might sign up and go and come back and give some beautiful testimony about how much need there is and how much God works in your life. But the truth is what we need are men and women that will be devoted for life. That will decide, I'm going to give 50 years to the Lord with his grace and his help because it's all, it's all going to be him through me. But I have determined with his grace to finish my course. To finish. We need missionaries that will be long-term missionaries. Missionaries that won't just raise their support and get to the field and learn the language and learn the culture. And that's a several year process right there. And start a church and get things kind of rolling and then decide, no, I think I, I think maybe something. No, we need some guys that will stick it out. Is it easy? It's not easy. If it were easy, more people would be doing it, right? Um, It's difficult, but we need some people that will decide if it's 20 years, if it's 30 years, if it's 40 years, if it's 50 years, I am going to serve the Lord to see churches started and men trained and a church planning movement um, just to, to, to go all the way across my country and all the way across my continent. By God's grace, we know he wants to do it and he's looking for some people that will say, I have decided to serve the Lord and to finish the course that he has given me. That's not God's will that everyone served 30 or 40 or 50 years on the mission field. There's no doubt that God has many men, and we see that in the Bible that he used here for a while and there for a while, but I think that many um, today that are moving here and there are probably, maybe, um, this might be a little judgmental, but maybe they're not quite being guided by the Lord in every decision they make, and we need some guys that will stick it out, people that will be committed for life, devoted for life. Accept your personal responsibility. Think long term to be devoted for life. Die to yourself to be devoted for life. Back in Acts 20, the passage that we took tonight for our text, but none of these things move me. 
Neither count I neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course. How can we finish our course? Die to ourself. And Brother Jim preached a great message about this last night. If you didn't hear it or you don't remember what I'm talking about right now, then I know all these messages will be online later and you can look it up. It's a fantastic message. But you know, the way that we stick it out and the way that we finish our course is to die to ourselves. It's not about us. It's not about what's easy. It's not about what's convenient. It's not about what might be the the most um, attractive option on the shelf. No, it's about serving the king, dying to ourselves, and doing what he would have us to do. Seeking first his kingdom, seeking first his plan, and giving our all to complete the desires that he has for our life. Look what the Bible says here in verse number 24. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course. The word course there is talking about a race that he's trying to run there. Um, If we're going to be devoted for life, then we need to fight to be devoted for life. Over in 2 Timothy 4, the other passage we read there, he talked about how he had fought a good fight. Here he said that I finished my course, this race. It's a fight. It's not easy. There are a lot of difficulties. Um, It's not going to be a bed of roses. There will be a lot of problems, but that's what God's called us to do. And we need some people that'll say, I'm willing to do it. And if God will give me his grace and his strength, I will do it for the next 50 years, the next 65 years, the next 35 years, whatever it might be the case. Let's finish the course that he's given us. Here in this passage, verse number 24, look what it says. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course. What's the next two words? With joy. With joy. You know, as we work to finish the course that God's given us, the joy is unexplainable. Is it hard? Sure. Is it difficult? Sure. There are a lot of problems? Sure. Do you got to stick it out a lot? Sure. But is it a joyful experience unlike anything else on earth? Serving the Lord, seeing lives changed, seeing um, churches started, seeing men give their lives to serve him, seeing them preaching their first messages. There's a young man named Jorge Munoz that is going into the Bible college next semester in Santiago to prepare for the ministry. And I might be more excited about Jorge than I have been about anyone else. You know why? Because as I was leaving to come back on this furlough about seven months ago, Jorge got saved. And I was all wrapped up in the in the details of packing and getting ready and moving and all those kinds of things to come back here for nine months. And we're going back here in about seven weeks. And I never really spent any time with Jorge. You know who spent time with Jorge? Christian spent time with Jorge, a guy that I've been working with for the last three or four years. Carlos Fernandez spent time with Jorge, a guy that I've been working with for the last four or five years. And guys that have been my sons in the faith and now have their son in the faith. And that son in the faith in my absence has grown and now has given his life to serve the Lord. And, and, and I kind of understand some of you grandparents about the joy of being grandparents, seeing your children give birth to their children and train their children. And the joy in the ministry is unexplainable. And we need some people that will stand up and say, I know it's not going to be easy. I know 50 years, maybe I'll be at home to spend Christmas with mom and dad, six or seven of those years. But who really cares? We'll be in heaven for eternity with him and hopefully with our parents as well if they've accepted Christ. And we can enjoy that time. But now we're called to be devoted for life. 
who will take that step and say, God, with your help, count on me. Not just this week, not next week, not next year. We're about to make commitments for 2012. How about let's make commitments for 50 years to serve him and do what he would have us to do. Amen. How many of you want to finish whatever God has for you to do? Say amen. Amen. I'm going to resign Vision Baptist Church and go back to the mission field because I was called a quitter tonight. But other than that, I thought it was a great message. Uh, Man, I I hope you are listening. I hope you're letting the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. What a great message. We ought to finish our course. We ought to do what God's laid out for us. We ought not just talk about it. Uh, You know, and I'll, I'll be honest with you. I want to be found doing his work when the time comes. Whenever he calls me home, I want to be in his work. I want to be going like a crazy wild man as long as I possibly can. I hope you do too. Well, our next speaker is, is Brother Matt Allen. He is a missionary in Papua New Guinea. And uh, first time I met uh, Brother Allen, uh, I was in Milford, Ohio, and I got the chance to meet him. And I enjoyed meeting him, loved him. I've watched his ministry. He came to our church in Alpharetta, came to Vision Baptist Church. You're in for a treat. I hope you'll listen and let God's Holy Spirit deal in your heart. I hope that you will uh, pay attention. Sit here. Don't go to the bathroom right now. Do like I did. Sneak out in the song service. I hope the guys out in the hall that are talking will figure out that the things that are going on are in this room. And they'll make their way back in here. Is that a positive way of saying that? That's a positive way. And if that doesn't work, I pray God will infest you with a million fleas in your armpits. Amen. All right. Thank you very much. Have a seat, Brother Allen. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. It's the very first time in my life that I've ever preached after 10 p.m. So you bear with me if my thoughts just go scrambled. Uh, I'll pray with you that your thoughts don't go scrambled too. Uh, (laughs) Nehemiah chapter number 1. I'm going to preach on obey the king and go. The question tonight is not can we know the will of God, but the question is will we do the will of God? It's been said that the default setting is to go. Because when you go through, and I'm surprised, I'm in a missions conference, and we've made it all the way to this point, and nobody has taken the text of Matthew 28. Nobody's taken the text of Mark 16. Nobody's taken the text of Acts chapter 1. I believe it's understood, and that's why. It's understood Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I I believe you know those passages, and that's why these preachers have gone everywhere but there. And so I want to say tonight, go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, because that's what the king said to do. And so I'm going to say, obey the king and go. The default setting is to go, and I'm afraid that we as preachers, and especially we as missionaries, have tried our best to raise support, and we've gone from church to church, and we've done everything we can to raise our support, and so we've made statements like this. If you can't go, then you can give. And if you can't give, you can pray. But the default setting is not pray and give. The default setting is what? Go. Because I find in the Bible over and over and over things like go, go, go. I don't find, I don't find give. It's not there. Paul tells the church in Corinth, he did a good job giving. Tells the other churches, he did a good job giving, but he never tells them give. You know what Christ said? Go. 
that is the great commission from the king on high. And friend, anything short of obedience is treason. Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 1 because I, I want to get into the text. Look at verse number 10. Now, uh, leading up to this, Nehemiah is living in the king's palace. He's the king's cupbearer. He's doing the work of the king. He's very close to the king. And uh, some things happened. He got word from uh, his brother in verse 2 that Jerusalem was in disrepair. And so his heart was broken and he prayed, started in verse 5. So we're, we're just going to skip verse 5 down to verse 10 because he's going to summarize his prayer in verse 10 and verse 11. Read verse 10 now. Now these are thy servants, Nehemiah's praying to God, and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. I believe right there at the end of this prayer, I want you to see how he just tagged that on there, for I, am, I was the king's cupbearer. Here's what happened. He started praying this prayer. If you read in chapter 1 and verse 1, he, start, he started praying this prayer in Chisley. That's the month of December. And if you look at chapter 2 and verse 1, he goes before the king in the month of Nisan. That's April. For five months, he's been praying about this. For five months, this thing's been turning over inside of his heart. He's been praying, God, please raise up a man to go back to Jerusalem. God, please do something. And at the end of his own prayer, it hit him. For I was king's cupbearer. You know what happened at the end of his prayer? He realized he was at the wrong place. He's praying, and then all of a sudden, right at the end, he just tagged in, for I was the king's cupbearer. He realized he was at the wrong place, and then in chapter 2, look at chapter 2 and verse 1, it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sat in his presence, and you and I know the story where he goes on and he talks to the king, and... Uh, I want you to know something. When he walked into the king that day and his countenance was sad, he was looking for an opportunity to talk to the king. It could have cost him his life. When Nehemiah went before the king, he had a lot riding on the line. Remember back to Pharaoh in the book of Genesis when there was a butler and there was, uh, there was the other guy, the baker, and they were in prison if the king wants to cut your head off, he will. If the king wants to elevate you, he will. Nehemiah has a place of prominence in this kingdom, and it could have cost him a lot for him to have been sad in the king's presence. But instead, he said, I'm in the wrong position at this point in my life. I've been praying leading up to this, but I've got to go. I've got to obey the king. And as a side note, I want you to realize that when he went, the king provided everything he needed. And boy, I want to tell you tonight, when you go, the king provides everything you need. I can tell you story after story after story. I mean, good gracious, we've got an airplane in Papua New Guinea uh, that the Lord raised money for, $150,000 in four months. I was just shocked. You know what our next project is? The helicopters, $835,000. We just announced it this last week. I'm not going from church to church telling people we need to raise money for helicopters. This is, a, this is the only one I'm going to tell anybody uh, because you guys aren't going to be given. Uh, <laughs> You, you, you know why? You know why? You know why we're doing that? It's because I want to be able to 
after the Lord brings in the money for it, I want to be able to say, hey, look what the Lord did. Uh, you know why? Because there's a bunch of tribes that you just can't get into because there's no way to get in there. The only way to get in there is with a helicopter. And I believe that the Lord will do it when the Lord wants to do it. And uh, we'll be able to say, look what the Lord did. And when you do the king's work, the king provides everything you need. But then I want to take this, what Nehemiah had, and I want to contrast that with what Jonah had. And we've heard a lot about Jonah. And uh, Jonah, just in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 3, it said that Jonah uh, rose up and he fled to Tarshish. Now, if we can just throw up on the screen 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 22, so you don't have to turn. Uh, In 1 Kings chapter 10 and verse 22, it explains all about what Tarshish was. It's the other place where it shows up in the Bible. Uh, This is Solomon. There it is. Uh, King Solomon had a sea, at sea, a navy of Tarshish with the navy of Hiram. Once in three years came the navy of Tarshish, bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. I want you to notice something. Jonah left from going to Nineveh, and he instead he went to Tarshish. He went from going to reach a bunch of dirty Gentiles, and instead he sought a life of affluence. Look at what was there. Gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. We know that gold and silver are worth a lot, but think about ivory. Uh, How do you get ivory? It comes from elephants. And how do you take down elephants if you don't have guns? Uh, Ivory's worth a lot. And then apes. I mean, good gracious, what are you going to do with an ape? What good is an ape? Uh, All they ever do is they eat and they poop. That's all. They're not worth anything. And and peacocks, what do you got peacocks for just to show off how wealthy you are? And Solomon's sending people there. And Jonah says, you know what? I'm not going to go to Nineveh because there's some dirty people there. They're they're pretty nasty. And I want to tell you, living in the tribal village in Kodidanga, man, there's some dirty people there. Some dirty people there. I remember when old man Peter got saved. Old man Peter, I don't think he's ever taken a bath in his whole life. And that's not an exaggeration. Uh, he's, he's had a hole in his nose for so long that it hangs down now. This little part hangs down and you can see straight through. But I remember when old man Peter got saved, I was wearing a white shirt. I, that's not a very good idea in the village, but it was a white shirt. And old man Peter, he got saved. And when I, I hugged him like this, he's just crying. I mean, just tears just flowing down his face. and his, They're all short. And his, his head was like right here. And he's just crying and, and rubbing his face on my shirt. I mean, just snot coming off and he's just, it's just going everywhere. But you know what happened? As he cried, the, old, the soot and the years of blackness was on his face, you know, all the body oils and all that. It just rubbed all over my shirt. And my wife couldn't it, would just throw that shirt away because it's not anywhere near white anymore. But I want to tell you, I think that a lot of times we as uh, American Christians, one of the things we're afraid of is that if we give our life to God and we go through with following the will of God for our life. We're afraid that God's going to send us to a dirty people instead of getting to have a life with golden ivory and apes and peacocks. And friend, I want to encourage you, be like Nehemiah and say, you know what, if I have to, I'll give up the king's palace. Don't be like Jonah where you have to think about running away and going the opposite direction. One last one and we'll be done. I want, to, I want you to look at a guy named Benaiah. Look at 2 Samuel 23, and you guys can throw it on the wall if you want. That'll help us out. 2 Samuel 23, verse 20. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man of Kabziel, who had done many acts. Following up with Brother Tony Howeth here, it's one of the guys that's really close to the king. And he loves the king so much he's going to do whatever the king wants. But he could have stopped right there because he came from a godly heritage. And young people, it would be very easy very easy in this generation to say, my dad did this, and my grandpa did this. Benaiah could have stopped right there, but instead he followed through. 
He slew two lion-like men of Moab. I have no idea what lion-like men look like. I'm just imagining like hair coming out of their face. (laughs) But to kill one's pretty impressive, and he did it twice. And I'm not really sure if that was two separate occasions or if they were both at the same time. But this is one mean dude. I don't think he was big, okay? I don't think he was a Goliath-sized man. I'm envisioning a scrapping dude because I want you to see what he did uh, next. And he went down also and slew a lion in the midst of a pit in time of snow. That takes some guts. Like you're walking past a pit. I want you to catch this. You're walking past a pit and there's a lion down in there. Okay? If I need to kill the lion, I'm going to get my bow and arrow. They don't have guns. Okay? I'm going to get my bow and arrow and I'm shooting the lion from the top. But no, Benaiah said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to scrap with this dude. And I'm going to teach him a lesson. And he jumped down in the pit. Oh, wait. In the snow. Don't, doesn't he know that you lose your footing at that time? And then look at verse 21. And he slew an Egyptian, a goodly man. I don't know why he, why he killed the good guy, but he <laughs> slew an Egyptian. And the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but he went down to him with a staff and plucked the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and slew him with his own spear. That's scrapping. And here's a guy that says, you know what, uh, King David... You didn't tell me that I had to go down and kill those two lion-like men. You didn't tell me I had to jump in the pit with somebody. You didn't tell me I had to go take that Egyptian spear away from him. But I know you want it done. And so I'm going to go. And the default setting is what? Go. For a long time. For a long time. I know that there are some people in here that were like I was growing up in my teen years. And I was fulfilling that Matthew 9 37, 38, pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth laborers in the harvest. I was like Nehemiah. I was praying, God, send somebody. But at some point, you need to step out of just praying and start going. Step out of just praying and start going. I pray that. God would raise up a generation of young people that would see past their cell phones and relationships with a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Step past what the world can offer you with a nice big house and a big job after a bunch of years at school. And I pray that God would raise up a generation of young people that would have a desire to serve God on the foreign field. I pray that God would raise up a generation of middle-aged people, folks like my dad. My dad was 45 years old when he came to visit us in Papua New Guinea. He was pastoring in the States. And I pray that God would raise up a generation of middle-aged people like my dad that instead of going through a midlife crisis and getting a tattoo and riding a Harley Davidson, maybe instead you do something crazy like go to the mission field. I pray that God would raise up a generation of retired people Retired people, do you realize for the very first time in the history of mankind, the first time in the history of earth, that we have retired people at the age of 67 with a great big fat bank account, and they're going to spend the last 15 years of their life on the golf course. Would you think about that? When you get to heaven, the whole sum of your life is that you got a birdie? (laughs) You think God's going to be impressed with that? You realize, like Brother Jason said tonight, we get 70 or 80 years. And young people, I want you to get this. You get 70 or 80 years with your life, and somewhere along the line, the temporal starts to crop up. 
And the temporal will grab your life. When I was in Bible college, there were 11 of us in my class. And I remember the day that the 11 of us sat around a table in a classroom. For some reason, the teacher was not there. And the 11 of us made a pact and we said, we've seen how many classes have gone before us. We are going to the mission field. 11 of us. And now, today, 2011, 10 years later, there are two of us on the mission field. What happened to the other nine? I dare say the cares of the world choked them out. I didn't say they're doing bad things. The temporal will grab you. And one day, every single one of us will stand before an eternal God. We'll give an account of what we've done with the time, with the resources, with the gospel that he has entrusted to our lives. And I want to tell you something. When you get to that point, when you get before the throne of God, it won't matter how big your retirement account was. And it won't matter how many cell phones you went through, how many tweets you put up on Twitter, and how many Facebook friends you had. The only thing that will matter is what you've done for God. And so I plead with you, obey the King and go. Father, I pray that our hearts would be burdened to follow you. Lord, speak through Brother Austin Gardner as he closes tonight. And Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts to obey the King and go. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, stand with me and open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 2. I hope that you want the message Jesus saves to be taken to the world. I hope that tonight some of you will say, I will go. I hope some of you tonight will say, I will surrender and I will do what God wants me to do with my life. I hope that this, uh, it's not an emotional thing, but that you honestly really want God to be praised all over the world. He is God. There is no other God. Uh, there is only one way to go to heaven. Everything that uh, the Bible teaches is true. They don't get the truth. It'll not make any difference in their life. I want to make a difference. I want to carry the gospel message of Jesus Christ to the world, and I hope that you do. Let me just uh, have a word of prayer with you, and then you can sit down, and you'll be out on time. But I just want you to, man, I want you to tonight, listen, listen to me. You know, we've been doing this a lot of time, a long time. We've been, we have all kinds of events. And I know I could get you to say you would go as a missionary. I know we could get you to make some kind of public profession. But I'm asking you to talk to God. And I'm asking you to say, God, I want to give my life. I'm asking you to say to God, I'm going to go back into my home church. I'm going to get involved like I've never been involved before. I'm going to see to it that the name of Jesus is magnified. And I'm going to prepare myself for the time I can go. Some of you, that ought to be very shortly. You could soon leave and go to the mission field. Some of you are still in high school. Some of you have a long ways to go. But you ought to be saying, God, I'm here. God, I want to go. God, I want to take the message. And you've been, you have been faced with all sorts of countries from a tribal group in Papua New Guinea to, to, the, to the people in Morocco, to people in China, to, to Indonesia. We've tried to talk to you a little bit about everybody. Our God is worthy of being obeyed. Our God is worthy of being worshipped. Our God is worthy of being praised. He is worthy of our money. He's worthy of our time. He's worthy of our treasure. And I hope that you will take that into account. Father, please deal with hearts tonight. Please 
uh, God calls some people out. Let some people from their hearts genuinely surrender to take the gospel message to the world. Let some parents uh, release their children to go and do what you'd have them to do. Let some uh, let some wives say, I want Jesus' will more than I want mine. Let some husbands say, I want to do what God wants me to do more than I want anything else on this planet. God, do a work and magnify yourself tonight. And I'll give you all honor and all glory and all praise for all that you do. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. Go with me to Jonah chapter 2. And briefly, I want to show you, you know, he was rebelling against the king and then he was submitting to the king. And now in chapter 3, he's going to watch the king work. He is going to watch God do what he didn't even want to see done. He's going to see God do great things. Look, if you would, at Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. And maybe you could just underline. We, we can't read the chapter, but if you could just underline in verse 1, the second time. I wish you'd underline the second time. The word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. It's the same instruction. Verse 2, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. This time, verse 3, so Jonah arose and he went then skip down if you would to verse five like the word so put a circle around the word so so the people of Nineveh believed God now I just want to give you about four things you might write down and consider with me the first thing I want you to look at is this God was more concerned with his worker than he was the work now that's an exciting thing when we're sitting here tonight God was more concerned about with his worker than he was the work. Do you think that God could have had another backup man? He could have sent somebody in Jonah's place. Do you reckon God had any other prophets? Or how many of you believe Jonah was the only guy God had on the planet? How many of you believe that? Y'all think he's the only guy God had? God had plenty, but God was concerned about Jonah growing and Jonah being all that he could be and Jonah experiencing God's power in his life. God was more concerned about his worker than he was his work. Verse 1, the second time. He goes back to him the second time and he gives him a second chance. And I want you to know that tonight God may be giving you a second chance to serve him. You may have rebelled against him. You may have held back on him. You may be kind of cold and withdrawn and backslid and he has given you a second chance. And many people preach out of Jonah that God's the God of the second chance. So you might just make a little note there about the second chance. He is concerned about the worker. But the first thing I want you to know about the second chance is there's no guarantee that God will give you a second chance. He gave Jonah a second chance. Jonah, go. No, I don't want to go. Good. Take a, a, a well belly ride and then you'll go. And he does go and he gives him a second chance. God gave him a second chance but he told Esther he had Mordecai going to tell Esther God may not give you another chance God may replace you and not use you but God's at work in the life of the worker in, in other words I want you to understand that overseas right now in a place called Papua New Guinea the, the guy that you just heard speak that work was made for a man to go and do God prepared Jeff Bush to go to Argentina, Jason Holt to go to Chile. God prepared Aaron Bayshore to go to North Africa. He is the Lord of the harvest. He's in charge. He is in charge. Amen. And he made a man. And so here he was wanting to do a work in Nineveh. And he said, I got my man. I'm going to use my man. And the man I'm going to use is Jonah. I just want you to know before I go any further that there is no promise of a second chance. I don't want to waste my life. I want to play. When I was a kid, 
and they used to play pickup football or baseball or any other team uh, sport. I was the last guy picked. But God picked me, and I ain't giving him a second chance. I'm taking it on the first one. I'm not going to say, I'll set this one out and see if you really want me. I'm not going to make him beg. I won't in. If God wants to use me, I won't in. I hope tonight you'll say, if God wants me, I will. in fact, is, just be honest, most of you aren't first picks. Most of us aren't first picks. Most of us, if we're honest, if they were picking teams, we wouldn't get picked. And the God of heaven says, I want you. If I was you, I would jump up and say, no need for a second chance. You stuck. You ask, I'm in. Amen. Amen. God called you. I want you to know that God is more concerned about his worker than his work. If the workers are what they ought to be, then the work will be what it ought to be. If the workers are what they ought to be, the work will be what it ought to be. In Peru, I used to teach them, don't they know I chakra? They don't know I chakra. I used to teach them that where there's no farmer, there's no farm. Did you know you could have the most rich piece of fertile, fertile farmland in the world, but if you don't have a farmer, that farm will not produce and that farm will be worthless. It will soon be grown over with weeds and there will soon be no fruit from there. And what we need is a worker to work the farm. What we need is a farmer. Do you know why there's a harvest right now going on in the countries you've been listening to? Because God called a man, a man answered, a man went, and God did a work. Jonah goes to Nineveh and God does the work and God brings it to pass. Remember this, remember this, God is at work. In chapter 3, God's going to cause a revival. All those people believe him. That whole city turns to God. Great things happen in that city. And it wasn't because Jonah wanted to see him saved. He didn't want to see him saved. He didn't want to go. And once he got there, he still didn't want to see him saved. It wasn't because of his great talents. Because I can only imagine he preached those messages probably fairly half-heartedly. His message was, yet 40 days and you'll all die. And I'm glad. This guy's not exactly excited about it, but God's at work in the life of a worker. A couple of things I might ask you to remember is this. God buries his workers, but never his work. You want to write that down. I read that in some book somewhere. God buries his workers, but never his work. Did you know every one of us picked up the baton from somebody that went before us? Not a one of us are the first guy, and not a one of us are the last guy unless he comes back before we die. Somebody handed me the work that I can do. I stand on the shoulders of a lot of people that went before me. I stand on the shoulders of the men who wrote the 66 books of the Bible. I stand on the shoulders of the prophets. I stand on the shoulders of the apostles. I stand on the preachers that went before me. I stand on the, prop, the preachers that God used to lead my family to Christ. I stand on a lot of shoulders, and I go forward. But God's interested in working in your life. You're his worker. You're his worker. Why didn't he get us a backup guy? Because he wanted to work in his life. And tonight he wants to work in your life. He has a plan for your life. The will of God will never lead you where the grace of God can't keep you and the power of God can't use you. God has a work for Jonah to do. The second thing I wish you'd write down real quickly. The work was bigger than Jonah could do. The work was bigger than Jonah could do. I don't have time to go into this. But if any of us are sitting here tonight, we're thinking about what God might have us to do. I mean, you know, Matt Allen stands up here and says he's going to buy a helicopter. And most of us are saying, I can't buy a Volkswagen Beetle, much less a, a, a helicopter. Most of us are standing up here and saying, I can't, I can't do this and I can't do that. But the God of heaven saying, it's my work and I can take care of my work. Can you say amen right there? 
Do you realize what happened? He got spewed out by the well. He walked 30 days before he could get to the city. And when he got to the city, he, he walked into the city for three days. He just stopped to the edge of the city and he just kept on walking for three days before he could get to downtown. I mean, what's one little worn out, weary, backslidden, rotten prophet going to do to turn that town around? About the same thing you're going to do to do anything where you go. Every one of us that have seen God do something must admit we didn't do it. Our God did it. If we've preached and people have gotten saved, if we've preached and lives have gotten changed, if we've preached and God started churches, every one of us has to step back and say, that work was bigger than me. The city was probably 50 to 60 miles in diameter. It's a super wicked, powerful, prideful city. There was no reason to think that one small Jewish man could impact that city and, and do so in, in less than two months. But he did. His message was not an easy message. His message was, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Verse 4. Verse 4, his message was, yet 40 days. I don't know what Jonah preached. I don't know if he added anything to the message. I just know that's what God put in there. But I want to show you the message he preached was only a message that made people mad. And I'll say this for the young missionaries I work with. Do you notice he wasn't all that big on adapting it and contextualizing it? He wasn't all that big on saying, let me make sure this message is acceptable to the people. He just walked out and said, you are dead meat. 40 days, you're fried. That's the message. I'm going home. He didn't get up and say, here's my stool. Here's my little drink of water. And let me tell you, this is the day that God has made and you're going to be happy. This is the best life now. That's not at all what he did. He just said, God wants glory. He's going to get glory. Get right. Third thing you might write down. There's an unexpected, unexplainable reaction to the message. There's an unexpected, unexplainable reaction to the message. It is so easy to magnify workers. It is so easy to look at Aaron Bayshore, who can live in North Africa and see guys get saved and lives get changed. It is so easy to look at Jake Talby and see those Chinese guys that you saw getting baptized in that picture. It is so easy to look at Jeremy Hall and know that God's using him right now with a ministry on his shoulders that's so big. It's so easy to look at Matt Allen and say, boy, look at that. It's so easy. But the whole thing is God saying, quit looking at them. They're just peons. I'm doing the work. It's an unexplainable, unexpected work. The truth is most of us ought to stop and say, I never expected God to do this much because I knew who he was working with. I know who he's got on the team. I mean, if you hit a home run, it ought to shock you because me and you both know you can't get it past the infield. Say amen. But God can when God uses you. It was God who convicted men, God who made men see the truth. Jonah doesn't have any tools. Jonah doesn't have any methods. Jonah only has a message and the power of God on his life. We focus on learning how to reach them when what we need to do is focus on God who saves them and changes them. All Jonah could do was preach. Jonah preached. They heard the word. The people believed and responded. They turned from their sin. Fourth thing, if you would, verse 10. God responds in grace and mercy. God saw their works turn, and, the, and, the, and the, that they turned from their evil way and God repented. Of the evil. God said, I'm not going to bring the evil on you. I was going to bring on you. And he didn't do it. I'd like to just say this because I do think there's still some people in here that might not be saved. The message was a message of doom and gloom. And the message that Jonah preached was just as harsh a reality as it is here tonight. I want you to understand there is no nice way to say this. You're going to hell. 
you're going to hell. They say Sam Jones, who was a Methodist evangelist, went to the city of Rome and he was getting ready to have his conference. And so he said, you know, he got, he got all set up to do the conference and he wanted to, to do some advertising. So he called all the guys in who were going to do the advertising. And uh, there, there were signs all over the city uh, telling people to come to the meeting. And he just told them, I want y'all to go knock on the door. And when you knock on the door, tell them this, Sam Jones said, you're going to hell. They knock on the door, the guy opened the door and say, Sam Jones said, you're going to hell. Leave the door, go to the next house, knock on the door and say, Sam Jones said, you're going to hell. Knock on the next door and say, Sam Jones said, you're going to hell. They all came out to hear him. And they were mad. They didn't like his message. And the newspaper reports that, by the way, I read that in the Floyd County Times from that day and time. And God brought revival and people got saved. Do you understand tonight you're going to hell? Do you understand that if you have not realized you're a sinner, if you have not acknowledged that you deserve to go to hell, if you've not acknowledged that you're, all your good works are of no value and you can never get to heaven on them, you are not born again. And if they're not, I pray that you will be tonight the message was a message of hell the message of men being guilty the message of men paying the price he doesn't even seem to tell them there is hope but they believe there must be somehow and they repented i mean god saved them how do, what are some things i can get you to take home maybe tonight god has given you a second chance maybe tonight god's given you a second chance I was 11 years old when I gave my life to be a missionary. When I got to be 18 and I went off to college and I met Betty, I knew I wanted to be in the ministry. I thought I'd misunderstood. Nobody talked about me in a missionary. Nobody explained to me what it meant to be a missionary. I didn't know what it meant to be a missionary. And I gave up the idea that I would ever really be a missionary. And I went to work in the first church when I was 19 years old. And I worked there for two and a half, almost three years. And God did great things in, in my ministry. He let me see people call to preach. He let me see some guys get trained. God was fantastic. I moved on to the second church. And I, and I, I was working in that church. And, and, I, and God blessed it. I stayed there a little over a year. And then I went and I started a church in America. And I stayed there for eight years as a pastor of that church. And God was great. And I never really thought I was going to be a missionary. I thought I'd misunderstood God. I was 11 years old. What's an 11-year-old know? And then as uh, missionaries kept coming to the church, every time they came, God said, I mean, I don't know how to explain it to you. I'm just telling you, man, my heart burned. It didn't matter what country they were going to. We were going there. It got where when, one, when Betty found out one was coming, she was upset with me. And after the service was over, we'd be on the way home in the car, and I would tell her, India, that guy talked about India. I really believe God wants us in India. So for the next 30 days or so, I'd talk about India. Then the next guy would show up. He'd be a missionary to the Philippines. I'd say, man, I don't know. I think the Philippines would be where we ought to go. And he got to the point, Betty said, I don't want us to go to the mission field. Would you quit inviting them? I don't like missionaries. They're boring. They're not good preachers. They're killing our church. Quit bringing them. And then one night, I told her, I said, we're going. She said, I love missionaries. You need to bring them in here to preach more. We'll give them better offerings. We'll pray for them. We'll do a lot of good stuff for them. We don't have to go as a missionary. You don't have to overreact. But God gave me a second chance. And I'll tell you this, going to the mission field was one of the greatest things. Maybe God's doing that with you tonight and letting you know that you could go. You, you may have run because the ministry seemed to be filled with danger and difficulty. You look out and you see missions work, mission work and it's scary. Let me just go ahead and tell you, it is. You're not going to go into the devil's den and expect to be welcomed. You're not going to go into the enemy's stronghold and expect for things not to go wrong. But I'm telling you, the God of heaven wants to use you. 
You might be afraid because the work is bigger than you, but you are right to tremble and be afraid of the work because nobody in this room is as big as the work. Nobody in this room is as big as the work. Nobody in this room could ever get anything done for God. It is more the power of God getting the job done than us trying to make our message work. It is God who does the work. And I'm going to finish. This is it. He rebelled against the command. He submitted to the command and he watched God's work. And by the way, next chapter, he's going to be in a bad mood because God did work. I mean, this is, this is about the lousiest prophet you could get into the Bible. I don't even know why God put his story in the Bible. I mean, this poor guy, we get to heaven. I'm going to walk up to Jonah and say, you're a jerk. (laughs) And we all know it. We've been preaching about you for years. You, you, You caused the ship to sink. Then when people got saved, you was in a bad mood. When God did stuff, you didn't like it. I mean, this guy, this, this guy's pretty bad off, but he's really pretty much like us, isn't he? Say amen. God wants to use you. God wants to use you. I'm not really going to tell him he's a jerk when I get to heaven. Some of you are sitting back there thinking, I'm really going to tell him that. I'll get, a, I'll get saved. Right. I mean, I'll get really cleaned up before I go to heaven. Amen. <laughs> Just listen to this, would you? God wants to use you. One of the things I fear at these meetings is that Jeremy Hall looks bigger than Jeremy Hall is. One of the things I fear is that Matt Allen looks like somebody special to you when he steps up here. Wayne Cook looks like some, Ronald Tobias looks like some hero. And it's so easy for you to overlook God and see some guy you think is something special and believe God couldn't use you. But let me give you a hint. They're all losers. I know them real well. There's not anything special about them. The only thing they got going for them is God decided to use them. That means he could do it with you. Why don't you tell him tonight, I would like to see you work. And if you'll just let me go along for the ride, I'll do everything in my power to be used of you. The honest truth, very few vacuum cleaners brag about how they cleaned the house. The honest truth, very many, very few wrenches brag about how they fixed a motor. The only tools I know that brag about stuff are us. We get up, God does a big work, and we say, man, did you see what I did? And God's up in heaven saying, you little twerp, I did it, and all glory goes to me. He's the king. All glory to the king. Would you bow your head with me? I'm not going to beg you, but I really think you heard the default setting is go. I really believe God wants some of you to say, I will go. I really want, I believe that God wants some of you to say, I will get training. I really believe God wants some of you to say, I'm ready to do whatever God wants me to do. And I'm going to challenge you to get out of your seat right now as the piano is being played and come and say, this is the decision I'm making. I'm telling God I will go and I will do whatever he wants me to do. I wish you'd come and pray for a country. I wish you'd come and pray to get the gospel around the world. I wish you'd take one of the missionaries by the hand and say, pray with me. I want to be used of God around the world. I wish you'd say, I'm glad God's given me a chance to be used. You came to the summit. You came here because God is at work in your life. You came here because you want God to do something with you. You came here because you knew the message you was going to hear. You didn't come here not you didn't come here expecting another message. God has a plan for you. Go. Take the gospel to the world. Come and say, God, I'll take the next step. God, I'll get involved in ministry. 
God, I will study and prepare myself. God, I'll be, I'll be doing the ministry. You've talked about it long enough. I mean, honestly, you've been talking about it so long that you're like the kid that cries wolf. None of us believe you really mean it. Come say, God, I'll go. Whenever you're finished praying, maybe you'll find a missionary and just tell them, pray with me. I mean business. I mean business. Father God, would you do a work in our hearts tonight? Would you magnify yourself? Would you glorify yourself? God, call some guys to take your word. Help some people to surrender to you. God, show your power in people's lives. And I'll magnify you for all that you do. With every head bowed and every eye closed in your seat or at the altar, you do what God wants you to do. Whenever you're finished, you can stand and sing with David. But I beg you, let God work tonight. Surrender. You have heard message after message. Let God do in your life what he ought to do. This event is organized by Baptists Commit to World Evangelism, committed to training men and women to take part in the King's Command. For more information, log on to www.bcwe.org to find out how you can be involved in the King's Command.